Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the September edition of the Creststone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. We have this note from the Creststone Eagle. This is the last issue that Kizen is our editor. Thanks and we love you, Kizen. For news, articles, and reporting, contact John Waters at the email address editor at crestoneagle.com. For subscriptions, billing, and classifieds, bye, Sister Love, we love you too. Contact Charmaine Boudreau at the email address accounts at crestoneagle.com. For advertising, volunteering, partnerships, sponsorships, interning, donations, all other inquiries, contact Jennifer Eicheson at the email address manager at crestoneagle.com. And a related note, love your eagle. Support the future of your eagle by donating to Crestone Eagle Community Media. Ways to give include Go to https colon slash slash bit dot ly slash support dash the dash crestone dash eagle or send a check made out to CECM. Send it to PO Box 101 Crestone, Colorado 81131 or drop by the office with a cash or check. The office is located at 180 West Galena. CECM has 501c3 nonprofit status and your generosity is tax deductible. We have this article about the Supreme Court written by M. Diane Verstow from the 1960s to the 2020s, how peace and love turned into greed and fear. Supreme Court, the Powell Memo. The Supreme Court has never been friendly to labor. In the early years of our nation, they firmly upheld the practice of slavery. During the Industrial Revolution, they routinely struck down legislation to improve the factory conditions and low wages. The Court versus the New Deal. Then, in the midst of the Great Depression, the Court opposed President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's FDR's New Deal a series of far-reaching public programs and financial reforms that included Social Security, the National Labor Relations Act, the GI Bill, and much more. FDR appealed to the nation in his fireside chats and threatened to pack the court. The court finally relented. The Liberal 50s and 60s. FDR's New Deal set the stage for the 1950s post-World War II boom. Uh, Unions flourished, Working conditions improved, and the New Deal GI Bill helped returning soldiers buy homes and move to the suburbs. Fair wages allowed many Americans to buy new cars, televisions, and myriad other consumer goods. The 40-hour work week allowed them time to enjoy the fruits of their labor. This booming economy fostered social unrest in the sector of the population that was left behind. The civil rights movement and the second wave of feminism flourished. Furthermore, the Vietnam War and the draft 
sparked campus unrest. Into this mix came Ralph Nader and the American consumer movement, which took on corporate greed and irresponsibility. Rachel Carson's Silent Spring brought attention to DDT and environmental degradation. The Warren Court. The Supreme Court changed with the times. With the appointment of Earl Warren as Chief Justice in 1953, the court took a liberal left turn. The Warren Court lasted 13 years, and it is frequently referred to as causing a liberal constitutional revolution. Warren is considered to be one of the most influential Supreme Court justices in U.S. history. The Warren Court is responsible for ending segregation in public schools in Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, and protecting citizens from self-incrimination in Miranda versus Arizona, 1966. It ended state-sanctioned prayer in public schools and helped bring about the end of the McCarthy era. The Powell Memo, Blueprint for Corporate Takeover. The liberalism of the 50s and 60s was an anathema to corporate interest and the conservative right. For advice, the director of U.S. Chamber of Commerce reached out to his friend and neighbor, Lewis Powell, a corporate attorney with ties to the tobacco industry. In a confidential memorandum entitled Attack on the American Free Enterprise System, Powell laid out an anti-New Deal blueprint for conservative and business interests to retake control of America. Submitted on August 12, 1971, Powell's memo was Catholic in its scope and included influencing primary and secondary education, all forms of media and Congress and the president. He especially urged them to look to the neglected opportunity in the courts, which under our constitutional system, especially with an activist-minded Supreme Court, the judiciary may be the most important instrument for social, economic, and political change, he said. Powell nominated to the Supreme Court. President Richard M. Nixon nominated Powell to the Supreme Court on October 21, 1971, against Powell's objections that it would be an extreme cut in pay. However, Nixon and his attorney general, John Mitchell, persuaded Powell that it was his duty to the nation. Powell's, quote, duty to the nation, end quote, resulted in three landmark decisions that opened the door to a corporate takeover of our nation. Buckley versus Vallejo, 424 U.S. 1, 1976, campaign finance. The court, now the Burger Court, voted that parts of the Federal Election Campaign Act of 1971, which limited election campaign expenditures, was unconstitutional under the First Amendment's freedom of speech. They reasoned that restriction on spending for political communication necessarily reduces the quantity of expression. First National Bank of Boston versus Bellotti, 435 U.S. 765 in 1978. The Supreme Court held that corporations have a First Amendment right to make contributions to ballot initiative campaigns. As a result, Massachusetts could no longer impose specific regulations on donations from corporations. 
Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, 558 U.S. 310, in 2010. Citizens United was truly a landmark decision. It did not, however, state that corporations are people. It did award them the same constitutional rights. In Citizens, they expanded their ruling in the Bellotti case from a state ruling to a national one and tweaked it a little. The court held that the free speech clause of the First Amendment prohibits the government from restricting independent expenditures for political campaigns by corporations, including nonprofit corporations, labor unions, and other associations. Today, today corporations own the media. In 1983, there were 50 dominant media corporations. Now, there are five. According to PewResearch.org, for most Americans, real wages have barely budged for decades. Union membership has dwindled from one-third of the workforce in the 1960s to 10.8% today. In 1971, a scant 175 firms have registered lobbyists in Washington. Today, there are 28,385, and last year, corporate interests spent 2.8 billion dollars on lobbying, more than the country spends to fund both houses of Congress. In the last 60 years, the courts have gone from liberal to extremely conservative, but the pendulum swings, and in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., the arc and the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Vote for justice. Next month, we'll look at treason and trickery in presidential elections and how that affected the court. And in a corresponding article, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, the resurgence of labor unions and the shocking history of the right to life movement. This is written by Diane Bairstow. Unions are making a comeback. On April 25th, 2022, workers at Amazon Warehouse JFK 8 on Staten Island voted to unionize. As of today, 209 Starbucks stores have also voted to form unions. Apple, Google, the New York Times, Condé Nast, REI, and Trader Joe's are all facing strong union organization. According to the National Labor Relations Board, union representation petitions skyrocketed 57% between October 2021 and March 2022, compared to the same time last year. A recent poll shows that 68% of Americans approve of labor unions, the highest rate since 1965. Roe v. Wade, originally popular with evangelicals. On January 22, 1973, the only Christian group that was incensed about Roe v. Wade was the Catholic Church. Most evangelicals saw it as a Catholic issue. Several evangelical leaders praised it. Carl F. H. Henry, editor of Christianity Today, said, A woman's body is not the domain and property of others. In 1954, after Brown v. Board of Education desegregated public schools, private segregation academies abounded, including Baptist minister Jerry Falwell's Lynchburg Christian School, founded in 1967. The problem was that these schools lost their federal funding and exempt tax status. They lost significant revenue. 
It wasn't until after 1979 and the advent of Jerry Falwell's evangelical political organization, the moral majority, that abortion became a hot-button topic. It could be used to stir up emotions and divert attention from their real purpose, seizing political power and control of the Republican Party. Now turning to some news from Douglas County. Douglas County moves forward with possible funding for a large water supply proposal not currently interested in San Luis Valley water. This is written by Elliot Wensler. Douglas County still wants to use a portion of its COVID relief funds to secure future water, but may now back plan to store unused South Platte River flow after dropping a controversial proposal to use the money to buy San Luis Valley supplies. The Douglas County commissioners indicated they may help fund the major water proposal from Parker Water and Sanitation when they unanimously directed staff to continue work on the project and asked them to provide options for how much funding they could supply July 11th. I think this is a good project for us to support with our ARPA dollars. It makes good sense for our citizens into the future, said Commissioner Laura Thomas. Commissioners George Teal and Abe Layden both agreed. Parker Waters Project, the Platte Valley Water Partnership, would provide water for more than 300,000 people in Douglas County, including in Parker, Castle Rock, and portions of Castle Pines and Lone Tree, according to a project proposal. It would also get the district to 75% renewable supplies. To do so, they plan to partner with a water conservancy district in Sterling, a town in eastern Colorado, to capture excess water in high runoff years from the Platte River, store it, and pipe it back to Parker. The proposal would capture about 20,000 acre-feet of renewable water per year that would otherwise flow from the state. The project won't impact existing water rights and won't allow buy and dry of nearby agriculture, said Ron Red, Parker Waters District Manager. In order to meet the district's projected water demands, the project will need to be complete by 2040, Red said. Castle Rock Water is a partner in the project. Parker Water estimates the overall cost of that project to be about $828 million. They asked commissioners to contribute $20 million of ARPA money for it. The Water District was notified July 22nd. They're a finalist for a portion of the funding and were asked to gather additional information for another presentation to the commissioners in about two months, said Parker Water spokesperson Deirdre Mueller. The commissioners have decided to focus their $68.2 million in American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, funding on seven areas, water and wastewater, homelessness, broadband, mental and behavioral health, wildfire suppression, economic investments, and the intellectual and developmental disabilities community. The San Luis Valley Project. At one point, the commissioners were considering using ARPA funds on a proposal from Renewable Water Resources, which would have pumped about 22,000 acre-feet of water per year to Douglas County from the San Luis Valley, permanently drying up wells there. The project was heavily opposed by water conservancy districts, residents, and environmental groups in the valley who said their agricultural community is already in a drought and can't afford to lose more water. Douglas County water providers all said they were not interested in using the San Luis water in part because they have already heavily invested in other projects. Teal was in support of the San Luis Valley plan and Thomas was opposed. 
Layden remained undecided for many months while the county conducted informational meetings with various stakeholders about the project. In May, Layden announced he would vote against the county using ARPA dollars on the proposal after the county's legal counsel concluded the project wasn't eligible for the federal dollars. Right now, there are simply two significant and enormous of hurdles for us to move forward on this project, Layden said at the time. That's not to say we can't explore this in the future. I think we certainly can, but RWR will have to do significant additional homework on all of these fronts to accomplish that. And in upcoming events, Crestone Artists Open Studio Tour happens October 8th and 9th. 20 members of Crestone Artists will open their working space to the public. October 8th and 9th from noon to 5 p.m., continuing a Crestone tradition going back to 2005. A free 16-page color catalog with tour maps and images is available throughout the area and online at www.crestoneartist.com or call 917-392-6962. A sampler exhibition will be on view at T Road Brewing Company from September 15th to October 31st with a preview reception on Friday, October 7th from 5 to 8 p.m. Come back to T Road for celebrating the spoken word, an evening of poetry hosted by Crestone's Poem Fest poets the following evening, October 8th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. And another happening, Center for Contemplative Research offering October retreats. Since its establishment in 2020, the Center for Contemplative Research, CCR, has settled into its home in peaceful Crestone at the site of the former Carmelita Nada Hermitage. The CCR is a contemplative research observatory at which dedicated expert cont contemplatives engage in long-term silent meditation retreats in order to hone attentional capacity to explore the nature of mind and consciousness and achieve extraordinary states of mental balance. Scientists from around the world collaborate with the yogis in retreat to measure and empirically track their experiential and physical evolution through these profound practices in order to help bring together the wisdom of ancient contemplative traditions and contemporary scientific inquiry. The findings will inform the development of secular educational programs grounded in both scientific methodology and tried and true practices from the world's wisdom traditions to help integrate contemplative and wisdom practices into education across ages and sectors. Stay tuned for more updates about these initiatives, including results from a pilot scientific study in coming months. CCR's retreat cabins are already populated year-round by those engaged in the rigorous and illuminating practice of full-time meditation, and CCR is incredibly grateful to the community of Crestone for offering such a supportive environment for these yogis. Older cabins are under renovation and new structures are in the works as well. While Hermitage is a pillar of the CCR's activities, so is dialogue with the world about the far-reaching potential of contemplative training in contributing to genuine human flourishing in a time when it seems increasingly impossible. Indeed, in his mandate, CCR, His Holiness the Dalai Lama encouraged continuous intercontemplative interreligious dialogue and education through the CCR to point to the deep alignment across wisdom traditions of, around the benefit of contemplative practice to all beings. In that spirit, CCR is delighted to announce its upcoming October 
first through seventh retreat, Fathom the Mind, Heal the World. CCR founder and renowned scholar of Buddhism, Dr. E. Allen Wallace, will teach in the Buddhist tradition. Dr. Ivanatanya, CCR Hermitage Director and accomplished scholar of both Buddhism and Christian theology and practice, will instruct in the Christian contemplative tradition. And guest, guest teacher, Dr. Anuradha Chaudhary, will offer teachings from the Samkhya and other Indian traditions. To preserve the special environment of silence on the CCR grounds, this retreat will be held at the stunning Blazing Mountain Retreat Center. We look forward to continuing to get to know the Crestone community. We hope you will join us for this unique opportunity to learn from renowned teachers of these enduring traditions. And this notice from the Baca Grand Property Owners Association, annual meeting notice, Friday, October 14th, 2022 at 7 p.m., Baca Grand's POA Hall, 68575 County Road T in Crestone. The Baca Grand Property Owners Association will hold its 2022 annual meeting at the Baca Grand POA Hall, 68575 County Road T in Crestone on Friday, October 14th, 2022. The meeting starts at 7 p.m. Sign-in will begin at 6.45 p.m. Call for election tellers for the October 14th, 2022 Board of Directors. The Baca Grand is seeking qualified teller candidates to help tabulate and certify this year's Board of Directors election. If interested, please contact the association at 719-256-4171 or email info at bacapoa.org. And this news, Ty Benali's selected refuge manager for the Baca National Wildlife Refuge. The National Wildlife Refuge, NWR, service announced Ty Benali as the new refuge manager at the NWR just outside of Crestone. He has been with the NWR service for the past 22 years. He has worked at the South Texas Refuge Complex, Havasu NWR in Arizona, the Hawaiian Islands NWR, and Midway Atoll NWR in the Pacific Islands and the regional office and Yukon Delta NWR in Alaska. On the remote islands of Hawaii, Ty counted seabirds and helped to untangle sea turtles, seabirds, and monk seals from collapsing seawalls. Ty administered special use permits in Alaska, where he worked closely with tribes, state, and other federal land managers to conserve wildlife and cultural resources on refuge lands. Most recently, he helped refuge staff produce a children's activity book that includes wildlife names provided in English and Yupik, a first for the service to target Alaska Native youth. Ty, who is enrolled with the Navajo Nation, has a bachelor's degree in wildlife science from New Mexico State University and an MBA in management from Hawaii and Pacific University. Ty's start date was August 22nd. However, as he is coming from Bethel, Alaska, which only has access by plane or boat, it could be a while. His household goods would be shipped, so it may be up to a month before he is actually on site at Baca NWR. Ty enjoys renting cabins, snorkeling, scuba diving, hiking, and traveling with his husky Kona. Ty and Kona will be moving to Colorado in early September. Waka Ty. And we have a quick look at the calendar. Friday, September 30th. Singing Bowls and Energy Healing at the Baca Grand Library from 5 to 6 p.m. Saturday, October 1st, Town Here to Listen session at the Cloud Station from 10 a.m. to noon. Looking down the road, Monday, October 10th, Town of Crestone Board of Trustees meeting at Town Hall from
from 9.30 to 5 p.m. Friday, October 14th, the POA Annual Meeting at the POA Hall. And on Wednesday, October 19th, Baca Water and Sanitation Monthly Public Online Meeting at 9 a.m. Check their website, bacawater.com board.html. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.